Guys, today we're kicking off a brand new teaching series at all of our campuses. It is called Kingdom Builders. Someone say Kingdom Builders. Kingdom Builders. I mean, look, how many of you guys have heard of Kingdom Builders? I'm just trying to see the people that haven't been here for a while. Okay. Uh, Kingdom Builders, man, we talk about it every week, every week. And we think that it's important that we don't just highlight what we give to every week, but that we stop every year and we recalibrate the heart. Okay, I mean, how many of you guys have a car that has to go in for an oil change, you know, a couple of times a year, all right? And if you, if you have a car and you don't take it in for an oil change, then what happens to your car? Some, somebody's sitting there like right now, like, when was the last time I did my oil change? Uh, man, no wonder I'm getting this knocking sound. What's going on? Right, if you don't, if you don't maintain you write your car, then eventually it seizes up and it stops. We're, this, is a, this is a moment where we're maintaining in the sense of like recalibrating the heart today. Um, in the next couple of weeks, we're gonna be focusing in more intently than we normally do on kingdom builders. And by the way, kingdom builders for us is generosity. Kingdom builders for us is engaging in God's bigger picture of what he's doing around the world. But remember, kingdom builders is three parts. It's raising up future Christian leaders because we believe that we want the future Christianity to be stronger than it is now, so we better be a part of raising up the next generation of missionaries and pastors. We also believe that the, the greatest impact we can make around the world comes from our strength that we are here. Like if you're an architect, you would understand this principle called the cantilever effect, that the stronger the base is, the farther you can reach out without any support out there. And we believe that the stronger the local church is, the farther the church can reach out. So we invest in the local church. We invest into local outreach. We invest into other churches around Nebraska and around the United States because we want them to be healthy, to reach out and be greater. But we also believe in global outreach. This is the classic part of missions where you've got your missionaries out in the field and your missions partners that are out in the field. And today here at New Life Church, you guys are in for a special treat. We have one of our newest global outreach partners that is here with us. He's been in Ecuador for 23 years and he's living in the jungles of Ecuador. He's in central time and it took him 32 hours hours to get from Ecuador, where he lives in the jungle, all the way to be here with us. 32 hours, same time zone, people. We're not talking about traveling to Europe or India. This is a big, big dedication to be here. He, he only had two hours of sleep. So if he, if he goes off script, give him some grace. Right? You see what I'm saying? And so, man, what a, what a joy. We, we, ran, we ran into Joel uh, through one of our other global outreach partners down in El Salvador, and we said, look, you know us. Who are the kind of people that would just be our people, part of our family? And uh, we were introduced to Joel. We've already supported Joel financially this year through his, uh, his girl's home. He'll tell you more about that. And so we fully funded our commitment to him this year, but we wanted to bring him in as a special guest to help us just kind of kick off the heart of what makes Kingdom Builders Kingdom Builders. And so guys, I think you're thoroughly gonna be blessed today as God speaks to your heart. Open up your heart, get ready to receive something amazing from the heart of God just for you today. Take a look at this video. It'll tell you more about the ministry of Joel, his wife, and what they're doing down in the jungles of Ecuador. We are Joel and Leo Marvin, and we are so excited to be celebrating over 20 years of ministry in the Amazon jungles of Ecuador. 
During that time, we've had an incredible privilege of seeing God's hand through planting dozens of churches and villages that had never had the gospel and training hundreds of native pastors to be able to preach the gospel in their own native tongue and in reaching and baptizing thousands of believers who had never heard the name of Jesus Christ. Hundreds of young girls have come through the Ecuador Hope House, and during that time they have received food, education, and safety, but most of all, they received the love of a home. And although we can testify of God's goodness, we realize that our greatest task is still before us. As John Wesley said, untold millions are still untold. And our next step is to plant 100 new churches in villages that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and to train 400 new national pastors to be able to continue to extend the gospel of Jesus Christ into the areas that have never heard. This fall, we will be opening our doors to many new girls, making this our largest group yet. Our desire is to launch a second phase where we will be able to help many more girls in the future. It is only through your prayers and faithful support that we can continue to extend the kingdom of God in the darkest places. What an incredible, incredible privilege to be with you guys today and uh, just to get to be back in the wonderful state of Nebraska for me. Uh, I really do. I have to ask you to pray for me that my spirit would catch up with my body. Uh, I've been traveling kind of crazy these days, uh, but I am so incredibly blessed to be here and be a part of what you guys are doing and just to get to share with you and let you see a little bit of an insight of what you guys have been investing in in the jungles of Ecuador. My wife, Leah, and I, we moved to Ecuador. We actually met and got married in Ecuador. That's a story for another day, but uh, she was my boss's daughter. If you can't beat them, join them. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, so what's crazy is uh, we've lived our entire married life in the jungles of Ecuador. And we, God put in our heart when we first got married to move out to an area where that was completely unreached. They called it a missionary graveyard. I remember our, so many people, uh, so many people came to us and tried to dissuade us from going. They said, you guys have got potential. You're young. You can do anything. Just spread your wings. And uh, we just felt like God had put in our heart to go to a very difficult and a very challenging area that no one else wanted to go to. And uh, we started out with a vision to plant two churches in 20 years. And we came up on those 20 years, and uh, we finally did our, our audit, and we kind of went through and started counting noses and tabulating just a few years ago. And we found out that we had not reached our goal, but realistically, uh, we had overshot that goal. And we had planted not two churches, but over 70 churches. And we had not baptized what we had hoped to baptize were 150 people. We hoped to baptize 150 people, and we had actually baptized over 7,000 people in water. And God is so amazingly good to us. And then in 2006, 
In 2006, in the middle of us planning churches and everything else, my wife said, hey, let's start a girls' home. We had no clue what we were doing. We found out that we had an unbelievable level of abuse and exploitation going in right outside of our door. 85% of little girls are sexually abused before they're 12 years old. And so we started the Ecuador Hope House. And the Ecuador Hope House, since 2006, has served as a home for hundreds and hundreds of little girls. And you know what? God has been so gracious. And what's so amazing about that whole story is God's taught us a lesson. If we focus on on obedience, God will focus on outcomes. I'm going to repeat that. When we focus on obedience, God will focus on the outcomes. And throughout COVID, so many people say, oh, what are we going to do? How are we going to make this happen? Let me tell you what our team did in Ecuador throughout COVID. They planted 13 new churches. (laughs) Isn't that an incredible testimony what God is doing? Now, we do live in the jungle, and, and it, this is not my Halloween costume. This is actually the way I dress day in and day out. This, this is not a mask, even though some of you may think it is. And uh, I, I, this is absolutely positively all me. And uh, it's so apparent because my kids, they've been raised in the jungle their whole life. And I remember coming through an international airport one time. If you've ever been on an international terminal, you're coming back into customs. If you haven't been there, I can explain it to you in just very, very simple terms. It's like they try to fit the entire airport through one door. And, and so we're all standing there one night, thousands of people were waiting to go through the line. And one of my kids, they break loose, they run over to the water fountain and they, they take a drink of the water fountain. They turn around and they say, come on, you guys, it's cold, it's free, and you can have all that you want. <laughs> all the people in the line looked at me like, what kind of freak are you? And where do you keep those kids chained up at night? <laughs> And, uh, you know, when I come back here to the States, it just kind of jumps out. I, yesterday, as I traversed around uh, the world, literally, I just, uh, I, you know, I ate. I ate donuts, I ate uh, hot dogs, I ate, you know, but I really am not attracted to healthy food. Anybody with me? All right. I'm from the South, and I have a mantra. If it'll slow down long enough, I can fry it and eat it. <laughs> and uh, one thing I like is fried chicken. And I remember coming back in the States one time, and I went to a Popeye's Chicken. Amen. I walked into Popeye's Chicken, and uh, when I walked in, the little girl behind the cash register, she's probably 15, 16 years old, was deer in headlights, man. She was just like, oh my gosh. And I could tell she'd been like rehearsing a line or something. And, and, and I got up there, and she goes, welcome to Popeye's Chicken. We have everything on the menu except chicken. <laughs> I'm looking at the girl. I'm like, you know, I, I don't know who got fired today. <laughs> But if you're Popeye's chicken, you better have chicken. If it's in your name, you exist for that reason. And somewhere down the line, maybe it was the cook, maybe it was the manager, maybe it was somebody in between, but somebody forgot the reason behind why Popeye's chicken was started to begin with. They just didn't get it. Now you're asking yourself, well, what does chicken got to do with me being at church today? Well, let me specify because there's a lot of Christians that I know that don't get it. And the reason I know that is because I see way too many Christians that are focused on winning arguments instead of winning souls. And, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy that I see it day in and day out. Somehow that we don't get the reason behind the gospel. We don't get the reason behind the, the, the incarnation, the reason why Jesus walked 33 years in our life. And, and we don't get the reason why he died on the cross and why he ascended into heaven, why he sent the Holy Spirit, sealed the church, and told us he's coming back for us again. We don't get the reason behind the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because, see, somehow we have, we have taken the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we have made it about happiness and comfortable and being comfortable. 
And the problem behind that is I have looked forward and backward in the Bible. I have yet to find the the verse that said, blessed are the comfortable. And, And I haven't found the one that says, I have come that you might be happy. But somehow we've deduced the gospel into being comfortable and being happy when that was never a part of Jesus's message. No, it's okay if you don't get it, because Jesus' disciples spent three years with him, and they didn't get it either. And he spent most of his time trying to help them to get it. And one of my favorite stories that Jesus used is in, Mar- is in Matthew chapter 20. And in Matthew chapter 20, we see this incredible parable where Jesus is teaching his disciples about the gospel of Jesus Christ, of why he came, why he actually came here. And he kind of went in order, and he starts talking. And the reason I like this is because I grew up on a farm. I grew up in a town of 582, and, uh, and, I, and I love all the imagery behind farming and just growing up and getting your hands dirty and everything else. And Jesus said in this, in this Matthew chapter 20, he says that the harvest had come. And when the harvest came, the owner went out and he started hiring laborers. And he went out hour after hour, and he did it five times throughout the day. And he hired laborers at each stop. He would go out and he would call people in to get into the harvest. And what was crazy is he comes up in verse 7 at the very end of the day, and he finds a group of people that are sitting there and they're doing nothing. They're doing absolutely positively nothing for the harvest. And Jesus, who's telling the story, tells them, asks them the question. He says, what are you doing there idle? How is it that you're sitting there doing nothing when the gospel is about doing the kingdom work? Now, see, I love this because I didn't grow up on a corn farm, unfortunately. And, but I did grow up on a, on a cotton farm. And this goes way back in my history because my grandmother told me one day, she said, your mom was born, my mom's the oldest of six kids, and they were sharecroppers. And my, my, and my grandmother said, sweetie, your mom was born after I had been picking cotton all day long. She was nine months pregnant picking cotton and went home and had my mom. You know what that tells me? There is no one that is exonerated from the harvest. We all have something that we have to do. Now, if you don't get that, or maybe you're, not a, maybe you're unsure about exactly where you lay in this, in this story, in this narrative that we're talking about today, I want to take a moment, and I need your help. How many of you guys will help me? Just raise your hand if, you, if you'd help me. All right. I need you to get judgmental. Now, some of you just perked up because you're like, listen, I've been in this church for a long time, and I've heard about spiritual giftings, and finally they've gotten to mine. <laughs> the problem is I'm not going to let you judge anyone else. You can only judge yourself. You have to look at your own heart and look at yourself. You know why? Because you can only change yourself. You know who taught me that? My wife. It took about two days of marriage. (laughs) And if you're married and a guy and you haven't found that out, brother, you're about to learn, okay? (laughs) God didn't put you in your wife's life to change her. How many women said amen? That was your chance, okay? Jump on it anytime you can. Now, I want you to look at yourself. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to ask you three questions. And I'm going to help you do just like a, a litmus test, almost like your pastor was talking about going in to a mechanic. In, a, in, in Ecuador, you call it an ABC. You just go through the whole system. You just see, how am I doing spiritually? I'm going to ask you a question today. 
to three questions that are going to reveal whether or not you really get the reason behind the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the first question is this, can you see the harvest? When you walk outside the four walls of this church, can you see the harvest? Now, you know who taught me this lesson? My oldest son when he was a little boy. He was about five years old. How many, how many of y'all have kids? Yeah, how many of you learn from your kids? Amen, like you, you can't give a cat a bath, right? <laughs> so uh, here, here, here we go. My son's five at the time. And I think, man, father-son trip, let's just pack him up, put him in our Land Rover Defender. We're going to drive out to a village that's never heard the gospel, just the two of us. And we're going to preach the gospel in this village. And this is going to be an amazing Saturday memory that my son will never forget. So we show up in this village. Things did not go the way I had planned them. Because after about 30 minutes, I found myself surrounded by 40 adults. And all of them had stones and all of them had machetes. They were cursing us, spitting on us, insulting us, and doing everything they could to instigate me to do anything so they could just kill us. And, and, and I remember having my, my son behind me, and I'm backing up, trying to get back to the vehicle. And I'm just trying to, like, i got to get back home. And I'm backing back up, and my, my son, he pulls on my shirt tail, and he says, at five years old, he says, Papa, I want to preach. I said, not right now. <laughs> I said, no, Papa, I want to preach to these people right now. And so I stopped, and there was this massive rock right beside us. We were backing back to our vehicle. We were about 100 yards from our vehicle, and I stopped, and I said, I'm sorry. I said, my son wants to say something to you. I took him, and I set him up on this rock. And when I set him up on this rock, I remember it like it was yesterday because he had on a green tank top, orange pants, because I had dressed him. How many women know what I'm talking about, right? You can't let your husband dress your kids and take them in public. And some of you, like my wife, can't let your husband dress himself and go in public, right? I can't tell you how many times my wife's like, you're not wearing that to Walmart. <laughs> you know, you're going to end up on a video and everybody's going to see it. So here I do. I put my little boy up there. He's five years old and he starts preaching. He has three points to a sermon because that's what pastor's kids do. They practice preaching they play church at home, they baptize their cat, and they, and they serve communion to their friends in the neighborhood. That's what they do. And so he, here he is. He has three points. Point number one, if you have Jesus, you don't have to be afraid. Point number two, if you have Jesus, you don't have to be afraid. I didn't say he was creative. I just said he had three points, okay? Third point was, if you have Jesus, you don't have to be afraid. My five-year-old son changed my theology, and he changed my outlook on the harvest. And friends, I want to tell you something in the church today. I want to let you know that just because they don't look like us, and just because they don't dress like us, and just because they hate us, and just because they don't vote like us doesn't make them our enemies. They're still his harvest. And if when you open up your eyes outside the four walls of the church, if you see enemies, let me give you a suggestion. Turn off your television, shut down your Facebook, get into the Word of God until you can open your eyes and see the fields are white unto harvest. Can you see the harvest? If you can't see the harvest, then you don't get it. See, the second question I'm going to ask you today is, what are you asking for in prayer? What do you ask for in prayer? You know, most Christians I've met, they ask the same 
three prayer requests. They eventually get into a place in their life where they only pray the same three prayer requests. You know what they are? See if this fits you. Me, myself, and I. And their prayer life becomes so self-centered that if they ever stopped praying, nothing would change. Because they're only worried about being more comfortable and about being happier. But see, I can't go and pray until without thinking about my Ecuadorian grandmother. Anybody that knows an Ecuadorian knows that I'm not Ecuadorian. I'm way too tall and I'm way too hairy. And so, but I remember one day, this one family had accepted the Lord in a market and they invited us to their village. It was supposed to be a Tuesday rendezvous and they were going to meet me at this hiking trail and we were going to go to their village and share the gospel with the entire community. I showed up at the trail, what I thought was a trail, and when I get there, nobody's there. And I asked them, I said, hey, where's the, where's the, is this the, is this the path? There was just this little path going up the mountain. I said, is this the path to Tunkus? They said, yes, that's the path to Tunkus. Well, I took off. It took four and a half hours. And I went through ankle deep mud, knee deep mud, thigh deep mud. I was miserable. I mean, I was sweated. And, and then all of a sudden, here it was, this, this, this path opened up into this village community. And here comes the biggest, hairiest man God ever created, like Sasquatch, wandering out of the jungle and into this village. And everybody in the village circled up and they all came around and they're like what is this guy doing here in our village and then I'm looking around for the family that had invited me because there was only there was probably 80 adults in this village and I'm looking around at these 80 adults that are there in this isolated village in the middle of the jungle and I'm and I'm looking I'm like there should be eight people here that I know I mean I know 10 percent of the community and I'm looking around they're not there and then I asked this lady, I said, ma'am, is this village called Utunku's? She said, yes, it is. I said, is it called Utunku's North? She said, no, 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 it's called Utunku's South. Utunku's North on that mountain over there. <laughs> I said, you know, uh, we're starting a church here today. <laughs> I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit or just laziness, but whatever it was, I was like, well, somebody's hearing the gospel, okay? And so we started telling the story of Jesus Christ, and we started going through all the way from the beginning of creation all the way up to Jesus. And when we did that presentation, some people walked in, some people walked out. But at the end of the day, 14 people gave their hearts to the Lord. They had never heard the name of Jesus Christ one time in their life, and they gave their hearts to the Lord. And one of them was an 85-year-old grandmother. And this 85-year-old grandmother, she just adopted me, started giving me sugars every time I'd go into her, into her village. And I would go up there every week because she couldn't read. She never learned to read. And I would sit in front of her hut, and I would, and I would read the Gospels to her. And, she, and I loved it because she would ask me questions. Tell me, she'd say, uh, Pastor, tell me again about when Jesus came walking on the water. Tell, tell me again when he said, I'll never leave you or I'll never forsake you. Tell me again when he promised to come back for us. And she had all this recall memory. And one day she was telling me her testimony about how when she was eight years old, her family gave her as a bride to her husband. How she'd had 16 kids, and out of those 16 kids, 12 of them died in infancy because they they died of jungles and illnesses. And she's telling me the story, and she's just pouring out. She's saying, I'm so thankful that you came, and that now I have hope for the first time in my life. I'm 85, and I have hope for my future. But then she asked me a question that changed the way I pray. This is a question. <laughs> she said, Pastor, but if what you said is true, why didn't someone come sooner? You see, our prayers are supposed to be framed around the reason why we have the gospel. And see, the reason why we have the gospel 
is that so all can hear and walk into the hope of the future. And see, our prayers should reflect that. That's what Jesus said when he said you would pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into the harvest field. A lot of you have been believers for a long time. A lot of you pray. A lot of you pray every day. But my question is, are you praying the way Jesus told us to pray? He told us specifically to pray for harvesters, to pray for laborers, to pray for workers, to go and to preach the gospel. And you know, I think it's time in the church, and I'm I'm sorry for saying this, and I believe that the second coming is very important. But friends, I'm tired of us sitting here and talking about the second coming of Christ week in and week out when over half the people in the world have yet to hear about the first coming. What are you asking for in prayer? Well, the third question is this. How many of you guys still love me? All right, that was more than when I started, okay? So we're good. It's all good. Now, the final question is this, since this is really going to make some of you squirm in your seat. Where's your treasure? Where's your treasure? No, see, when, we st- when I ask that, when I s- ask that last question, some people automatically have a little bit of a spike in your blood pressure as if you're getting audited by the IRS. You start squirming in your seat because, see, what's crazy is in the church, so many times people say, man, you know, you talk about giving, you talk about this and that and the other, but what you don't understand is the reason why we talk about giving. Do you realize that in the Bible, there is nothing given the power that our treasure has? Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount that wherever your treasure is, there your heart would be. The only thing you have in life that will change the condition of your heart is your treasure. And automatically, you know what people want to do because you treat it like a, like, a, like I said, like an audit. And all of a sudden, people start sweating. And you're asking these questions like, "Okay, how do I make this go away, Pastor? Can I call? Can I have a meeting? I mean, what's my percentage? What's my tax bracket exactly with God?" But see, God doesn't work that way. The reason God doesn't work that way, it, it became clear to me when I was looking in the New Testament that you had the rich young ruler, and Jesus told the rich young ruler, "Sell everything you have and get rid of it." And and we know what the result was. But then again, you have Joseph Arimathea. The Bible tells us he was a disciple and he was a very wealthy man. And Jesus never told him to sell anything. You know the difference between the two? The difference is this. One of them had an obstacle. The other one had an implement. And do you realize everything you have is either an obstacle to obedience or an implement to be used by God? It only depends on where it's placed. If you put your treasure in the right place, your heart moves with it. And it's one of the reasons I see so many Christians walk away from the faith because they never trust God with their treasure. They're like, I love God on Sundays, but you know what? Monday through Saturday is my time and my space and I'm going to do what I want to do. So the question comes automatically, how much should I give? And you know, it's kind of like living in a Bible story, living in the middle of the jungle, working with unbelievably impoverished people, people who live on less than a dollar a day. And the reason why is the same reason why Jesus pointed to a woman who came to the temple and gave two pennies. And he said, that's your lesson right there. You know, I've got the opportunity to spend the past 23 years watching some of my heroes in the faith. Trust God with their treasure. And I remember we were talking about 
We were talking about planning a new church one time. We were like, man, we got to plan a church. And we were asking people for offerings and asking people to do all this stuff. And, and one of our pastors from way out in the jungle got wind of it. And you know what he did? He says, Pastor, I want to give an offering. I'm thinking to myself, this guy lives in a thatch roof hut, has no running water, no electricity. He has like 12 kids and no income. I'm thinking, where is he going to get an offering from? He says, no, Pastor. I'm going to give you one of my cows. I have two. That's all he had. I said, okay. There's no cattle truck coming in there. So he took this cow and he walked for two days until he couldn't walk any further. And then he loaded the cow strategically in two canoes. Don't ask how he did it, okay? <laughs> Just imagine. Some of you guys grew up on a farm, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You had no problem imagining it. And he floated that cow down to the port, and it took him three full days. And I remember the day that he brought it into Sakua and brought his offering to the church. And the moment he gave it, he gave over half of everything he owned. See, it's men like that that teach you God's not looking at the quantity of how much you give. God's looking at how much you have left over. Now, I don't want you just to be offended at me today. So I'm going to throw C.S. Lewis out here and let you get offended at C.S. Lewis as well, okay? About 60 years ago, someone asked C.S. Lewis, how much should we give? And this is what C.S. Lewis told him. He said, I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our giving does not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they're too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our giving excludes it. Now, see, the point is, it's not like God needs our money. But the, the issue is, we will never change our heart unless we put our treasure where it's supposed to be. Would you stand up with me today? Now, some of you think that treasure only has to do with money. And that's not true. Because Jesus doesn't say, put your money where your heart should be. He said, your treasure. And all of us have treasure. It's whatever we put value in. It may be parked in a garage. It may be hanging up on a wall. Or maybe like me, I grew up in Alabama, and we like football. I know you guys probably don't even, you, no, no, I even watched the game yesterday, did you? Let me tell you how much I believe in this. I believe in putting my money where my mouth is. And I remember three years ago where God asked me, he says, give me your football time. I'm like, get thee behind me, Satan. I'm not saying this for everybody. Everybody. 
God's not asking for what you don't have. He's just asking for what you have that has value. And when you put it in the right place, guess what happens? Your heart starts moving. And inevitably, when I watch someone walk away from Christ, it's always because somewhere down the road, they didn't trust God with their treasure. Now, I want to pray with you. And I want to pray a prayer with you today that my youngest son taught me when he was three. We don't do much out in the jungle. We just picnic and camp and do stuff. I mean, it's just, you know, I, I love it, but we don't have any malls. You know, we don't have any stores, nothing like that. One day we're out swimming and we're jumping off this cliff into a, a river. And my little boy, my older boys are there and they're flipping. And I mean, this thing's this 10 foot jump, cliff into the river. They're doing gainers, flips, dives. It's amazing. They're having a blast. I'm here with my three year old. He's got floaties on his arm. And we're in ankle deep water. And he's watching his brothers do this, right? He's watching his brothers do this. And then after a few minutes, he looks at me and he says, uh, he says, Papa, I go. I said, all right, let's go. We climbed up on the very top. And when we get up on the top, here he is. He's watched other people get it. And he wants to get it. A lot like some of you guys. You've watched other Christians live the real Christian life, and you really want it, but it scares you to death. You're afraid of how much it's going to cost you, what you're going to have to let go of, what's going to have to change in your life, instead of just crazily abandoning yourself to God. And here goes my little boy. His name's Aiden. I said, all right, son, go. He's got his little floaties on. He does this. He goes, mm-mm, <laughs> nope. He steps up again. He does it again. He does it three times. The third time, he goes all the way over the edge. He puts his toes as far as he can over the edge. He squats down, puts his hind end out, raises up his arms. He's got a little floaties on. And he's sitting there, and he's shaking because he's so scared of what's going to happen. And he says this. He says, Papa, push me. Some of you today are going to pray that same prayer. push me. Even though I'm scared, even though everyone else is not doing it, push me because I don't want to miss out. You know what a Christian that doesn't get it is like a Popeye's chicken that doesn't have any chicken. Would you pray with me today? And I want you to raise up your hearts I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I'm going to, you know what, this is business between you and God. But wherever you are right now, I want to give you an invitation to pray with me that prayer. And I'm going to pray that prayer for you today. And you know what you've got to do? You just got to put in the part, push me. That's your only part. Father, push me. Lord, we love you and we thank you today for this opportunity to come into your presence and just to cry out to you. And Lord, we ask today that your gospel would be preached 
not only in our lives and in our circle, but to the uttermost parts of the world. And Father God, what we pray more than anything, God, is that you would open up our eyes and let us see the harvest. When we walk outside the walls of this church, that we wouldn't see enemies, that we wouldn't see people that, that, that don't agree with us or don't dress like us or don't vote like us, but God, we would see fields that are white unto harvest. We would see the fields day in and day out when we're driving up and down the expressway, when we're riding through our neighborhoods, that we would no longer drive past the opportunities, but our eyes would open up when we watch the news at night. God, that we would not get angry with the situation, but we would understand that it is groanings. It's the groanings of creation crying out for a Savior. Lord, I pray as well that our, that our prayers would be according to what you have told us to pray, God. That we would pray day in and day out for the harvest. Lord, that we would pray for new workers. That we would pray for the uttermost parts of the world and those who we know need a Savior. And help us to realize, God, you do nothing except an answer to prayer. And Father, finally... Help us as a church to trust you with our treasure. Lord, what you're asking for is for us to trust that what you're giving us is so much greater than what we're giving away. Lord, help us to live at this level of trust. And Lord, push us. I invite you right now, wherever you are, just to tell the Lord, raise your hands toward heaven and tell the Lord, Father, push me. Father, push me. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.